different. I could tell you stories from my family about one son who hid in the wardrobe one night when his father was away for the night and his mother was in the house on her own with the four children. And when mother went to bed that night with son duly hidden in the wardrobe, he leapt out of the wardrobe and nearly gave mother a heart attack. I don't know who that would be. There was another son, though, who decided that maybe a dustbin lid, metal dustbin lid, would make a good frisbee. Only he didn't tell his other brother that he was about to throw it. And this brother got it square in the face and I got a nice little chipped tooth to show so that wasn't me and there was another brother in my family who cheated the system that was established to help with household chores and he devised a cunning and merciless scheme of skiving whilst his brothers and sister didn't manage to work that out I don't know which brother that might have been. One of those was me. But which one was me, I wonder. You've heard the story before, so you know. Okay, so I'm a cheat. All right, doesn't matter. There you go. But, but my brothers, I've got two brothers and a sister, but my brothers, same parents, we are so very different. Here, we've got three characters in this story. And they are very different. Who are the three characters in this story? We'll just scribble them up ever so quickly, because we're going to have a look at them and uh, what their responses to all of this was going on. Who are the three characters in the story this morning? We've got Mary. Okay, Mary Magdalene. We'll call her Mary M. We've got John. He's the speedy one, the, the disciple Jesus loved. Okay, writer of the gospel. And who else we got? Peter. Okay, so we've got John, we've got Peter, we've got Mary Magdalene. Three people, very different in so many ways. If we just give a little bit of background to these three people, I'm going to get you to do a little bit of work in a second and talk, speculate a little bit. Mary Magdalene, an incredibly devoted follower of Jesus. She followed him and served him cared for him, wanted absolutely the best for Jesus. She was not bothered by the possibility that the authorities might take a dim view of her associating with Jesus. And here, as we get to this story, she wanted to honour him by doing what was was, was the most beautiful thing somebody could do for somebody that had died, was to, to anoint them with oil and spices and just care even for a, a dead body. So that's Mary, truly devoted to Jesus. Then you've got Peter. Peter's one of these folks that, that acts first, thinks afterwards. Just a couple of chapters before this in John's Gospel... Peter sees the guards come to seize Jesus, to take him. And he grabs his sword and whacks a servant round the ear. Takes his ear off. That's not a very disciple-y type thing to do. 
But he acts first, thinks after. He says to Jesus just before he's arrested, Jesus, I will never, ever turn my back on you. Never will I do that. Only hours later, he finds himself three times denying Jesus. So I never knew him. I don't know what you're talking about. So he's a man full of passion. But sometimes he opens his mouth before he really thinks about what he's saying. But clearly loves Jesus. Then we've got John. Again, if you read in chapter 18, John almost certainly was at the trial of Jesus. He was allowed into the enclosure and probably saw Jesus mocked, spat at, beaten, ridiculed. These are the people that we've got in this story. A devoted follower. One who had a privileged position, a view of Jesus, seeing him humiliated. One who was a hothead, but devoted nonetheless. Now we can see in this story, and we're going to look in just a second, at what those three characters did on that first Easter morning. But I wonder, could you just turn to the person beside you, or the people beside you, And just speculate for a moment. How do you think those three people might have been feeling? Bearing in mind what had just gone before. How would those three characters have been feeling? Give you just a minute or so just to to talk to each other. Maybe pick the first one, Mary, and, and then work your way through. And and we'll just have a little bit of feedback in just a second. How might they have been feeling? Go for it. Have a a quick natter to the people nearby to you. Okay. Let's see what we got then. So, I'm going to start with... Which one do you want to tell us about, Fliss? Peter. What are you going to say about Peter? What what might he have been feeling? Feeling really guilty. Feeling really guilty. So Peter must have been feeling guilty. Why would he have been feeling guilty? Because he he denied Jesus. He said he did exactly what he said he'd never do. And there, Jesus was dead. And he couldn't do anything about it. Anything else for, for Peter? Let's start at the bottom. Any other things that we think Peter might have been feeling? Confused. Okay. Not knowing quite what's going on. Any others? Scared. Scared. Okay, it's already gone pear-shaped enough. What's going on now? Paul? That's John 1, because Peter was reluctant. Ah. Reluctant. Yeah, good. Good. Anything else? Yeah, Judy? Revengeful. Revengeful. Explain. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so angry with whoever might have stolen this body. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I hadn't thought about that at all. Thank you. That's brilliant, actually. Loads there that I haven't thought of. Cool. What about John? What about John? How, how might John have been feeling? What do you reckon? Injustice. So feeling the injustice of it all. Okay. 
Anything else? Else? Hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Hopeless. It's all gone wrong. It's all gone wrong. Jesus died. Yeah, Mary. Numb. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, George. Curious. Yeah, curious. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, what, what's going on? I, I don't quite get it. What, what's happening? I want to know. Any other thoughts for John? Yeah, Pete. What future? What future? Yeah, so that kind of goes with the, the hopeless thing, doesn't it? What future have we got now? We've thrown our lot in with this bloke and he's dead. What now? Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Okay, what about Mary Magdalene? What about Mary Magdalene? Mary. Distraught, yeah, I could see that. Distraught. Good. Anything else, Fliss? Angry. Okay. Anything else, Sue? Devastated. Steve? Fearful. Absolutely. Yeah. Any others? Empty. Empty. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yes. Empty. What's happened? Person I've been serving and following. Gone. What's happened? Betrayed. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she felt betrayed because actually here was Jesus who had loved her and now he'd gone yeah okay so she was kind of prepared maybe stealing herself but prepared yeah okay thank you okay brilliant now of course this is speculation we don't really know but actually you've entered in to that situation and thought about how these three people must have felt that first Easter morning. And as well as having different feelings, they, they acted differently. If we just look very quickly through the text, Mary, she finds that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. What does she do? She runs for help. She runs to, to get somebody else to kind of begin to help her to understand what's gone on. Something has gone on. She runs off. And then later in, in, in the verses that are just after what we've read, we discover that she waits outside the tomb. What about Peter? Peter, he starts out for the tomb, gets overtaken by John, but then, verse 6, Peter, straight in, doesn't think, just goes for it, straight into the situation, and starts looking. Whereas John, having run faster, who knows why, but he stops and waits outside, kind of takes a look in, gets a bit of a view, but he hesitates, he waits, and then he goes in. So we can speculate about their feelings. We know a little bit about them. And we can see 
their action. But what is their response to what went on? What, what did they actually do with what happened? Well, actually, this passage doesn't tell us about what Mary or Peter do. We discover very quickly afterwards, in the next few verses, how Mary responds. And we discover in the chapter afterwards how Peter responds. But in verse 8, we see how John responds. How does John respond, verse 8? He believed. He believed. He walked in and he saw and he believed. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. That he had risen from the dead as he had said he would. Verse 9. And he believed out of that that he, John, could be a child of God. See, the whole of John's Gospel, 98 times in John's Gospel, John talks about belief. And here, at this moment, is the moment when John believed. And John wrote this whole Gospel so that others us, you, might also believe in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. John chapter 20 verse 31 says this, these things are written that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John believed that day. Believed what Jesus had been teaching and telling him through those three years. And at that moment, the light went on. So what about us? Today, 2012, in Five Head, as we sit here, what is our response? Because actually we are all so very, very different. Some of us love Marmite, even though we can't smell it. Some of us hate it. We're all so very different. As different as I am from my brothers, so we are all very different. But the thing about these three that are different is that they all came to the same belief that Jesus died for us and rose again, conquering death and making possible our friendship with the God who made us, the God who made the world and who wants to make it perfect again. I want us to watch um, a short video clip. If, uh, are you ready with that, Steve? Fantastic. We're going to watch a short video clip. It's about five minutes long. And uh, I'm going to talk over the first bit because it is about five minutes long. But it's from a film called The Mission. And uh, it's based in South America. 
And uh, what we've had so far in this film, it's been a film about a, a tribe in South America in the jungle, a tribe that is high up in the mountains above a waterfall. And it's a beautiful, bright day. And we can't really see it awfully clearly. But what you can see is a man called Rodrigo. And Rodrigo was a mercenary. And he had climbed up the, mount- the, the hills and the waterfall in order to buy or to steal slaves. Say again? Oh, get the lights out. Can we kill the lights? And what's going on here is Rodrigo having spent a life abusing people and having come and shot and killed uh, some of the tribe's people and having got to a point in his life where he killed his brother in a duel. He gets to a point where he says, actually, there's nothing left for me. Until the other characters in the film, some missionaries who had also been trying to reach this tribe, suggest to him that maybe he puts it right by coming back to the tribe and saying sorry. But Rodrigo decides that that's not good enough. He needs to carry a great net full of all his weapons, his armour, his, his sword. This was based in the 1750s. And he's got to carry that up the waterfall. And so he struggles all the way to the top of the waterfall, carrying this huge burden. Let's just watch for a second, if we can see it. It's just not too clear. Say again? Yeah. So the tribes people who have been shot at, who've been killed, who've had some of their fellow people stolen to slavery, see this man coming up, dragging the net full of stuff. And so he meets with the tribespeople for the first time. So a man, burdened by the weight of all he'd done, the regret and the guilt, arrives to face the people that actually had his life in their hands. I don't know if you could see it, but for a moment a knife was held to his throat and and those tribespeople could easily have just slit his throat. But instead, they chose to do the thing that actually he needed, which was to have the rope cut and all the weight of all that represented his wrongdoing towards those people was taken away and dropped down into the river. And I just think there's a fantastic picture of our standing before God. We might not see ourselves as carrying huge burdens of sin on our backs like Rodrigo symbolised there. But actually, Scripture tells us that, that our doing our stuff, following our own way, actually does hold us back. It entangles us. It ensnares us and stops us from being the people that God made us to be. 
And the amazing thing about what Jesus did was that he cut away the sin that ensnares us, whether we recognize it or not. Jesus cuts away because he took upon himself an even greater burden than Rodrigo took upon his back. He took upon himself the sin of the entire world. All that stands between us and God. When Jesus died on the cross, he took that upon himself. And in those awful moments following his death, he was separated from God. Because sin was on his shoulders. But the amazing thing about this day is that he took our sin and he dealt with it. It was cut away and and let go. And that's why we celebrate Easter morning. Jesus, risen, has conquered sin, has conquered death. With sin, we are separated from God now and for eternity. But as we turn to Jesus in belief, as John did in those words there, in verse 8, we are set free and we can live as God wants us to. We keep messing up. But Jesus died once for each one of us. And his death and resurrection means that we can keep coming back to him. When we mess up, we can keep coming back and say, Lord, I am sorry. We don't have to go climbing up some mountain holding all the burdens of the stuff that we regret. We just come to Jesus and ask him forgiveness. See, belief isn't just an intellectual thing. But it's living. It's active. And it's every day. 